0: Well, for those of you who are, are new here, you may or may not know that I've been sick. I was sick for, I've been sick for about six months, which is something very uh, new. I've never experienced anything like that. And it is good to be back. Every time I come back, I'm just like, wow, I'm here. This is good. This is better. It's better to be here and not sick than it is to be home and sick. Um, and, and sometimes just to, to really appreciate um, how good it is, you have to remember, I have to remind myself what it was like to be home in October and November and, and wondering if I was going to be able to come back and, and, and to remember how bad that felt. Sometimes to really appreciate the goodness of where you are today, you have to remember how bad it felt before. Before. Uh, today, in our text, we are studying the conversion of the Apostle Paul, and we've been studying that for three weeks, um, and we're, we're still in the book of Acts, we're, we're going to continue to be going through Acts until Easter, and studying the, the, the beauty, the power of what God is doing in the book of Acts as he begins to renew the world, to create a new world by creating new people. That's what the book of Acts and what the entirety of of human history since the resurrection of Christ has been all about. God renewing the world, creating a new world, uh, not by destroying it and throwing it away and starting all over, but by regenerating his people and creating a new people on the world who through them will save all things. That's why we're, we are able to call Jesus the Savior of the world now. And we look forward to the day when we will just be able to see it. When we will look out and see a healed planet. And we will see healed people and we will know that the world indeed has been saved. And that's, that's the process that is beginning. It began at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came from heaven and began to feel, fill God's people. And in many ways, the Apostle Paul is the prototype of that. He is he's not the very first, but he's one of the very first. And in, in many ways, the, the absolute prototypical new believer. Grew, grew up in the church, grew up in the synagogues, knowing God's Word, being trained in God's Word, but hated Christ until his heart was changed and he was given new eyes, and the the scales fell off of his eyes, and he was able to see himself, and he was able to see the church and see Christ, and see Christ's glory, and he was was overwhelmed with the the love that Christ had for him. And, And the question I want to ask you today before we turn to this text is, when was the last time you were overwhelmed? by the love that Christ has for you? When was the last time you were overwhelmed? You were just, you had your breath taken away by how much you are loved in Christ Jesus. That's the question I want for you to ask you today. And my prayer for you this entire week is that your answer in 30 minutes would be much different than it was just then. (laughs) My prayer for you today is that you would, that God would come upon you right now and remind you, remind you what it means to be a sinner saved by grace. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in a very few words, unlocks the profound truth that defines who we are and what Christ has done to remake us. And that's what we're going to study today. Please stand as we read from 1 Timothy, Paul's reflection upon his own salvation. We see to truly know the love of God, we must know who we are. Please see, uh, read with me, 1 Timothy. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thank him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, and he appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. But not God's Word. God's Word stands forever. You may be seated. To truly know the love of God, we have to know who we are. We have to know who we are. The Apostle Paul here gives us what is one of the most uh, well-known passages in the New Testament to describe uh, his conversion. And honestly, uh, if you were only going to set one verse, one passage of the New Testament to memory, I would recommend that this be it. I would recommend this be it. It is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the chief. You're just not going to do much better than that. Everything you need to know is right there to tell you who you are, to tell you who Christ is, and to tell you what he has done and is doing. Uh, The first thing I want you to see is Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul describes himself as the chief of sinners. He says, there's nobody behind me. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. This drives people crazy. They don't like it. It's in present tense. It's not past tense. He's not, saying, uh, he's not saying, of all, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and I used to be like that. That's what we want him to say. That would be nice. If he would just say, I used to be. I was the worst. But he doesn't. Time and again, actually, in the New Testament, he says it. I am the chief of sinners. He says in uh, John's, um, Romans chapter 7, right now, I find it to be a law within me that whenever I seek to do good, evil is right there with me. When uh, The very good things that I want to do, I don't do. The bad things that I don't want to do, those are the things I keep doing. I find it to be a law in my body that whenever I seek to do good, evil is right there with me. Who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? It's a present tense struggle. He's saying, I am the chief. There is nobody behind me. There's nobody behind me. There's no one worse. Why, why does he say that? He's the apostle Paul. He's he's the one who's seen Jesus face to face. Who's dedicated his life. This is a very late letter. He's written this after years and years of ministry of of dedicating his life to. Going from town to town and being persecuted for his faith and being stoned and imprisoned and shipwrecked and put in chains. Also, he can proclaim Christ and present these small baby churches uh, to God. You know, perfect in Christ. Why would he say that he's the chief of sinners? That's, that doesn't make any sense? If he's bad, man, you. I mean, how can he possibly even say that? How can how can he say there's nobody worse than me? I think, first of all, he, above all people, understands the sinister nature of sin. That, that all of the sins, all the seeds of every sin, it, that every sin that's ever been made manifest in the world, it's in his heart as well. There are, we all have these things in common. Notice how he describes us. Look at verse. Look at the call to worship. How does he say what was our state? He's putting himself together with us, and he says, "While we were dead in our sins and trespasses." How can he say that he's there's no one worse than him? Because once you're dead, you're dead. There's no, you know, quantity of deadness, despite what Princess Bride tells you, right? There's no mostly dead almost always dead, barely dead. You're either dead or you're alive. There's one or the other. And he's saying, I was just as dead in sin as you are. There's no no comparison. We're were equal parts dead. He says, he understands that the the seeds of sin were in his heart. His testimony in in Romans 7, I don't know why I keep saying John, I apologize. His testimony in Romans 7 is very interesting. He said, I didn't even know sin. Until somebody taught me the law. and The law is kind of easy. Let's just be honest. You're a kid. The law is not that hard. Don't kill. Well, I can't. You know. I'm too small to kill my sister. I would. You know. Don't steal. I don't have anything. My brothers didn't have anything. You know. Honor your father and mother. Well, if I don't, they're going to kill me. You know. I mean, keeping the law is pretty easy as a kid. Except when it comes to that coveting, he said. Don't even want the things you don't have. Don't don't look down upon others. Don't be prideful among others. And and don't don't go through life desiring what God hasn't given you. And he says, at that point, the, my sin came alive and I died. And you realize that those the, the sinister nature of sin, that that he has these seeds in his heart. And you recognize certainly that the the fruit of sins are different depending on kind of where you grow up, right? What happens to those seeds is different depending upon the environment you grew up in. Some of you, like Paul, grew up in a very religious environment. And your parents were there to pluck those weeds every time they came up, Right? And punished them down, pull them, you know, those weeds out, and so the seeds never bore much fruit. They were there; they didn't bear much fruit, except for, well, maybe those, you know, those seeds that told you how much better you were than the other kids. Those, those were there. I have a friend who, for six years, from first till sixth grade, she received the most Christ-like award in her school. She looked at me, she told me that, she goes, I didn't have a chance, (laughs) right? How could I not grow up prideful? I had been told by the faculty that I was more like Jesus than anybody else in the school six years in a row. I had no chance. You know, some of you grew up um, maybe with with parents that built your your arrogance up and told you whenever you were in a... uh, Whenever you got your feelings hurt, well, you're smarter than those kids, and you begin to take pride in that. Or maybe your parents told you that you were uh, prettier than those kids. It's okay that you're prettier than those girls, and they, and, and your, your vanity began to grow up and, and blossom. I don't know what sins it, it was that, that your parents fertilized some sins and killed others, but they're all there. They're all there, as, the, uh, as Tim Keller used to say. Paul's not saying he's Ivan the Terrible, but it's not for lack of potential. The seeds were there. You know, I wasn't, uh, I didn't have fertilizer poured on uh, the prejudices and racisms of of my community. It didn't make me better. It just means my parents were pruned those weeds out. They were there. And so he, he realizes that we're all dead in sin and we all have the same the same potential for sin in our hearts. And and so we're, we're right there together. No one's behind him. It's, uh, it's, it's a hard place. People don't like that. They don't like it. And the Apostle Paul, you can watch him doing great gymnastics to make this text not say what it says. Uh, there's people throughout history who have done great gymnastics to make... Romans 7, not be in the present tense. To say that Paul's saying that I was like this, but I'm not anymore. That's not what he says. He says, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Our sin's a present tense thing. That's a humbling fact. It keeps us, I don't know, it it just keeps us associated with each other, loving each other on equal footing, doesn't it? It's what I've always thought was the most powerful thing about uh, AA and NA and the other ministries that have, that have come out of it. Their, their testimony. You know, I am an alcoholic. I am an addict. It's not something that's changed. That those, those seeds are still there. I'm not feeding anymore, but it's still there. Paul understood that. He understood that that sinister nature of sin. I remember uh, when I was in college, U2 came out with an album called Rattle and Hum, and it had a song on it called God Book Two, or God Two. I can't remember, something like that. But he, and he says uh, he says, so honest, my, my Christian friends hated that song said, I don't believe uh, in the excess excess has to give. I don't believe in riches, but you should see where I live. I don't believe in forced entry. I don't believe in rape. But every time she passes by, wild thoughts escaped. He's struggling. He's got those seeds of sin within his heart, and he's acknowledging that, who he truly is. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's acknowledging that that those sins, they're still there. By God's grace, we're not going to feed them today, but they're still there. That's why our relationship with each other is one of brotherhood. It's true fellowship. I I think the Apostle Paul not only felt that, that sinister nature of sin, but he also just saw himself more clearly than most of us see ourselves. Right? He saw himself in H.D., I, uh, but Bianca and I have been watching this little murder thing, murder mystery. It's just, it's silly enough to keep you from getting worried about it, like this is not really going to happen, but it's real enough to keep you watching, you know how those are. Uh, but it's in, it's in 4K, I don't really know what that means, but it's in 4K. And what this means is this, it's across the living room from me, right? And these close-ups are in such definition, I can see every in the actor's face, I, I can see every one. I can count them. It's crazy. You can see every flaw. I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at on this TV, but it's more real than life. Like, I can't see. I like, guess more. That's weird. It's just like higher death than. Like, I'm looking at Bianca right next to me and I can't see her pores, right? <laughs> but I'm looking at this actress and I'm like, I can see them. This is crazy. And I think that's a little bit of what the Apostle Paul was, was experiencing. He, he lived so close to Jesus that he could see every pore. He saw every flaw. He knew what perfection looked like. He, he dwelt under a, under a brighter light. And the Apostle Paul knew himself enough to say, nobody's behind me. Nobody's behind me. I'm, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the chief but lest you be foolish you're not ahead of the apostle paul either you're not behind him but you're not ahead of him you see he was not just a sinner but he's a sinner saved by grace he said jesus christ came into the world to save sinners and and in saying that he really he he, he is unfolding the the mysteries of the gospel the good news that god has given his own son, that God has, has fallen in love with this world to the point that he would pour himself out to save it rather than just throw it away and start over. Jesus came into the world. He, he leaves heaven. He, he wants to become one of us. He wants to live with us. He, want, he comes and he experiences the fullness of what it means to be a, a frail human. He was sick. He was cold. He was hungry. He was disliked. He was kicked out. His family didn't understand him. He had all the, the small, uh, frustrating things of life, the splinters under his toenails and all that, just the, the, the little stuff. He had the huge stuff of, of being righteous and, and not sinning in this world. He, he lived an obedient life. It must have been very hard for him. To obey people his entire life that he knew he was better than. Because he was. He was Jesus. But because of who he was and what he was coming to do, he he continually is putting himself under their yoke. He's suffering. He suffered the, the pains of betrayal, of the shame of being stripped and mocked and spit upon, the the pain of crucifixion, the the, the weight of our sin. He, he did all those things to save. Why is the Apostle Paul able to say that he was the worst of sinners? Because Jesus became the worst. In 2 Corinthians 5, we're told that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He became sin. He was so identified with it that he was sin. And as sin suffered the punishment that sin deserves, as sin suffered the the outpouring of the wrath of God for us, Romans 5 says that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God? While we are still sinners, Christ became one of us and died for us to provide a means where sin would be punished and we would live in His fellowship forever and ever. That's What Jesus has done. He became sin for us. He became the worst so that the worst could become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. He became the worst so that the worst could become the best. He became the worst so that the worst could dwell with Him forever. He gave everything. For us, that's our value, and that's who we are, that's our definition. And 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 I want you to see this is very important. That when the Apostle Paul says that he is the chief of sinners, this is not some kind of worm theology. Um, and this is particularly a problem in our neck of the woods, um, Presbyterians, historic Presbyterians, which is what we are. We Occupy a very small neck of a very huge woods, and I understand that. But in our neck of the woods, in our corner of, of evangelical Christianity, it's almost seen as a uh, an award, a noble thing if you think low of yourself. Like if you beat yourself up, you know. We sing songs like uh, "Would He Devote That Sacred Head for Such a Worm as I?" I um, can't sing that one anymore. I used to. Um, I, I just think he gets some things wrong. And, and that's this. We are, yes, we are sinners, but we are saved sinners. We are beloved sinners. What does that mean? It means that we're children, we're not villains. We still make mistakes, don't get the wrong idea, daily. Make, we, we sin, and we shouldn't do that. Um, And, and he's growing us out of it. But it's not, we're not villains. We're not evil. We don't do it because we, we hate him. We do it because, well, we're children. You know, when I was, my kids were little, there were times, seemed like especially in public, but there were times when I would, would literally, this is not, I'm not making this up and say I would want to. Like, I literally did this. I would look at them and go, you're acting like two-year-olds. They were two. Right? And two-year-olds are just awful, and they're they're selfish, and they don't act like they know that anybody else exists. And so it was okay that they were acting like two-year-olds, but I still didn't like it. And, you know, now that they're 20, I don't want them acting like two-year-olds anymore. And I think there's probably times, and God's very infinitely patient, but there's probably times when he looks at us and goes, you're acting kind of like two-year-olds right now. But I still love you. You're, you're my children, you're not my pets, I'm not going to throw you away, I'm not going to get rid of you. Um, another way of saying it is, we're dirty, you know, like when your kids come in, my kids used to go out and play in the mud, and they loved it, I mean, there was nothing more fun than playing in mud, and they would come to at me like this, because they knew I would make them run away. And, uh, you know, when they were done, I would ask them, are you done? Yes. Okay, then stand still. You can't touch anything. No, you can't come in the house. Don't be ridiculous. I'm not letting you come in the house. I'm not even going to let you touch the water hose. You're so filthy. I would stand with the water hose and spray them off, right? They had so much dirt on them. I didn't want them to touch anything. And, and there are times, I think, when we roll around in our sin and we roll around in our selfishness and you, just, you, you have those feelings of self-pity, of, of what have you done for me lately, God, of, of just anger towards the world. And I think God must look at us and go, you're, you're pretty filthy right now. But you're not dirt. I'm going to wash the dirt off of you and reveal the Son of God under, you're my children. And I love you. We, you're, you we're, we're the ones who rejected him. We're the ones who turned our backs on him, but, but we're his. We're, we're former prisoners of our sin, and we're former, you know, um, criminals who are out of, of prison, but we're not on probation, if that makes sense. Um, Okay, I'll use this illustration. It's, you know me. This isn't gonna be a surprise. One day, at one time, when I was watching wrestling or wrestling, for those of you who know better, um, the real stuff on TV, not that college stuff. Um, thank you for laughing. That was important. Um, I remember Randy Macho Man Savage looking at Hulk Hogan, and they were going to reform their alliance. And he said,
1: "You're on probation with
0: me." And I'm on probation with you. And if either one of us crosses the other again, it's over. That's not your relationship with the Lord. You understand he's not like that. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 55, God gives us this great uh, verse to to remember. He says, I'm not like you. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above your uh, above you, so far so far are my thoughts above your thoughts. I'm not like you. And he's not using that kind of as an explanation of high mystical theology that you can never understand. Specifically, he's saying, when it comes to forgiveness, I'm not like you. I've removed your sin. As far as the east is from the west, is gone. You, you, you're frail, you're human, you can't really do that. You can try to forgive, it's hard. And honestly, every time somebody steps on your toes, you're gonna remember all the times they stepped on your toes before. But I'm not like that. When I forgive, you're forgiven. And so, yeah, we live our lives. We are, who are we? We are beloved Sinners, and there's so much freedom in that. You see, you can't break that. You can't lose it. You go out and do something that you said you were never going to do again. Well, yeah, you're a sinner. Christ's love for you isn't going anywhere. And the more overwhelmed we we get that we are beloved sinners, the more like Him we look. And that's the pathway to being filled with the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 3, Paul's praying for us. He's praying that we would know the height and the breadth and the width and the depth. That we would know the the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. The pathway of being filled with the fullness of God is not to ignore our sin, but it's to acknowledge that we are forgiven, beloved sinners. In that way alone, we know the love of Christ. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we pray that you would strengthen us in in our inner beings. Father, enable us to know this love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that we are at one and the same time beloved sinners. That no one is behind us and no one is ahead of us because you, our Father in heaven, are right here with us. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.